Well, good morning. Uh, as you know, my name is Pierce. Uh, it's so, so glad to be with you guys again. Uh, I wanted to start off by saying, uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful to be here. And I, I've had the privilege of, <clears throat> me and some of the other interns have had the privilege of getting to know some people through uh, having them make us a meal, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, but it's grateful to get to know those people, and I look forward to meeting Honestly, hopefully all of you uh, at some point or another, but it, it's a real, real pleasure to be up here. Uh, so when I was in high school, I remember we were going on this uh, wilderness trek. We were going up to Colorado, and the entire goal was to hike from one point to a certain summit or mountain way off somewhere else. It took us about a week to get there. And while we were hiking through, we reached, I think we were on day four, and our guy, it was me and a couple of my buddies, and we had a, a couple guides with us, because there's no way we would have been able to do that on our own, because um, I'm for sure a city yuppie boy. But at that point, we, they, the guides were telling us, hey, we're actually going to summit in the morning, we're going to get up to the top in the morning, and just wanted you to know that we're going to be getting up a little extra early. Uh, we'd been getting up early that entire trip. They said it's going to be still super dark. Uh, so you're not going to probably get much sleep, but when we get near the top, uh, we'll just tell you whenever we get up, or you'll just see whenever we get up there, is what they were telling us. So we woke up that morning, threw on our boots, uh, was super tired, but honestly, yeah, was kind of ready for the trip to be over, but as we were hiking, knowing that it was coming to an end, we got near like the top of the mountain, and you could start to see over and it was just about sunrise time. And there were so many beautiful clouds there, and you could see the sun coming up. And I remember thinking absolutely nothing. Like, all of, all of my friends were, we were all chopping it up and talking, everything like that, getting near the top, having a good time. And then we reached a point where all of our feet just stood still for a moment. And all of us shut up for a moment. And... We were speechless at that time. And it was, it was so fascinating because <laughs> during high school, I had ran cross-country for two years at that point, and I had woken up every single morning before the sunrise, and often I would be running and the sun was rising. And I didn't think anything of it, never thought anything twice, mainly because I was like dying and completely out of breath. But it was because I had never experienced the sunrise in the way that I experienced it up there on top of the mountain. And that's what I'm hoping to do with our text this morning, with our scripture this morning uh, that we just heard my grandfather read. Uh, this is a story, this is the, the foundation of the Christian faith, this is the resurrection story, as most of us know that. Uh, and if you don't, I'm telling you now, that this is the foundational piece of why we're Christians, is because the grave was empty. But sadly, we read about this so much, and honestly, when, if, like, you're doing a, if you're doing a uh, Bible reading plan, this is the last chapter in Luke, and we can often just kind of want to skip ahead and just be like, okay, let's move on to the next book. I know this part already, so happy, it's exciting, but it can even become 
something that we don't experience in its fullness. So that's what I want to try and do with this text this morning. I want to want to reveal to you that sunrise up on top of the mountain versus the sunrise that you may see every morning. Because it's the same sun, it's the same scripture, but it's, there's a, such power there, and I want to do it justice. So in order to get to the resurrection, we have to go somewhere really sad, which is the cross. So I want to give you a synopsis there is, I'm not stating anything out of the ordinary yet. I want to preface that. I will state out of the ordinary things later because this is an out of the ordinary story. But there was a historical figure named Jesus about 2,000 years ago who claimed to be a messianic figure. If you don't know what that means, he just claimed to be God's chosen instrument to deliver the Jewish people. And he self-proclaimed at this point, which we'll see. But he gained a large amount of following. A lot of people were following him at this point, known as disciples. We have the 12 disciples that we well know, and a lot of other people were following him at this time, gaining a huge following, a lot of popularity, doing a lot of insane things, crazy things uh, that were almost like, like legendary and like mythical, if, if you will. It's what it, a lot of it, that was the kind of sense that was going around. And the Roman government that was ruling over the Jewish people at the time actually didn't like that. They didn't like that he was claiming to be a king. And that was the rumor that was going around. If he was going to be a king, he may even overthrow the Roman government. So the Roman government didn't like that, one. And two, interesting enough, his own people, the Jews, didn't even like that. There was a group of people who actually wanted to kill Jesus. And, spoiler alert, they were successful. He he was wrongly persecuted, and they killed him. And when I say he died, I don't mean he died an easy death, but he died a gruesome and brutal death. His hands and feet were nailed to a cross, and he died up there suffocating uh, on this cross. And he was buried in this tomb, uh, as we heard earlier, uh, from Dennis, that there was linen wrapped around his head. We heard it twice, actually, now. That they went through all the burial process. Uh, all of his disciples, I imagine, were one at the cross where they watched him suffer and die. And they were at the tomb where he was put through this burial process. And they watched these things wrap around his head, this linen wrap around his head, and he had burial clothes on, and I just want you to imagine, like, these people, that was, their, that was their life at this point. And specifically, through the eyes of Peter, that's what this series is about, this is an I'm in series, we're seeing the decision points through the eyes of Peter. And we're seeing Christ in a different way through the eyes of Peter. So I want to focus on him, but think about all the other disciples as well, what they must have been feeling at this time. They must have been feeling, one, immense sadness and lament for their friend that they just saw die. Probably feeling shame and guilt and hopelessness. So just get a feel for that. Like, see that in the disciples during this time because it's not often highlighted, but those are the emotions that they're going through. And at this point, 
seeing that Jesus go in the grave, one of their best friends go to the grave, they don't know what to do. I would imagine they were all in one place, and all of a sudden, these women burst through the doors and say, the guy that we thought was dead, our friend that we thought was dead, actually isn't in the tomb. We actually saw two guys who were shining so bright we couldn't even look at them. They tell us he's risen. Why are we even looking for a living person among the dead in a tomb? And as the women there, I, I, I would imagine that they were had a sense of shock on their faces and surprise, probably smiling a little bit, but also a little bit afraid because they'd never encountered this before. This is something they've never experienced. And as the disciples are hearing this, another thing that they're used to hearing is this idea of a messianic figure. Because believe it or not, Jesus was not the only person to claim to be the Messiah during this, this time and place. There's actually a few other people. One name, you may not even know these names. One, one's name was Thaddeus. Uh, another's name was uh, Judas of Galilee. And these two people claimed to be messianic figures, claimed to be sent from God. And it was well known that you don't kill the Messiah. If that's God's person, they're going to win. And guess what? Those two people, we're not talking about them today because they're dead. And they stayed dead. And those names would have been familiar to the disciples at the time. And so imagine these women coming and breaking that barrier and saying, he wasn't there. I don't know where he was, but he had risen. And we actually get the reaction to the disciples, what they said, in response to what these women are saying. This is verse 11. It says, but these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now, there's there's a couple reasons for this reaction. It's really easy for me to, one, I'm I'm a Christian now, and I know how the story goes, and I know how it ends, and it's really easy for me to be like, what is wrong with these disciples? Why would you not believe these women? They, that's just how the story goes. It's because I know the ending, but again, putting yourself in their shoes, I want to give you two reasons. One, the second one is going to be, have a lot more weight than the first one, and, and you'll see what I mean. But the first reason is, sadly, women were not looked at as reliable sources for information at that time and place. Women couldn't even be in a courtroom and testify something at that time. And that seems insane to us. That's not a reason why people believe today or don't believe today. Uh, but that's, that was something of that time. And the second reason that I want to highlight is uh, everyone that had been dead at that point, shocker, had stayed dead. So when they said, hey, that guy we just saw dead a couple days ago is now alive. Uh, That's the second reason why they wouldn't believe him, obviously. Uh, And I hope that's highlighted there and uh, clearer. But then we get Peter's interesting reaction here. It says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. So if you can imagine for a moment, again, this was Peter's life. He had been with Jesus for three years. He was a devout follower, one of his closest friends. 
And all of that, it was not a good day on Friday for Peter as they saw Jesus die. And what Peter's experiencing here is a complete shut door in his face with Jesus dying. And when these women come and say these things, that door, there's a little crack in it again. Peter is, I'm going to entertain this idea, even if these women are crazy and they saw a hallucination, whatever that may be. But what if, what if he's alive? So we get this, re- this beautiful reaction from Peter that he rose and ran to the tomb, and I imagine he's thinking all sorts of crazy things. He's probably thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to see when I get there, but I, I have to go check. And even if there's a chance that these women are telling the truth, then it's worth it. And when he gets there, uh, one more. Thank you. Uh, stooping in, he looked in and saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So in your Bible, I want you to go ahead and circle that word or highlight or underline or put a star by whatever you do in your Bible, that word marveling. Because there is a lot of power in that word marveling, and it's something that I've overlooked up until this point. But I think it, there's a lot of significance there, and I think Luke puts it there for a reason. So what that word means exactly, so in the Greek, that word means, or says, thumazo. That's the Greek word for it. Uh, I had to throw a little Greek in there just so you all know that I'm in seminary and everything like that. But what's important about this word, the way I would describe it, it your, also your Bible may say wonder, uh, that's the NIV translation I'm reading out of the ESV. They're, they're the same word. But it means to marvel or to wonder. And the way I would describe this word it is it's an experience that exceeds all previous understanding of what's going on. That's how I would describe this. For me, it was summiting that mountain. And... Again, I was speechless. I had no words. My mind was somehow empty and somehow full at the exact same time. I, I don't know how to describe it. But it was almost like an out-of-body experience where you're just like, okay, what is happening? I, I didn't even know this existed. And, oh my gosh, it's just crazy what we're seeing. And you just don't have words to, to put to it. So another example may be it could be the first time that you sat up and saw the stars for the first time, and there was no light pollution, and you were able to see all of them. And for that like brief moment, you just feel really small, but at the same time, you're just speechless. Or it could be that moment when you held your first child or your first grandchild, and you think, this is the most beautiful thing ever, and I have no words to describe what I'm feeling right now. And that's what, those are the kind of emotions that I want you to feel when you see this word marveling because that's what's going on in the text. And what's really interesting is if you know anything about Peter, if you have a track record of Peter, he's the one to like raise his hand and say something, uh, whether it be smart or dumb. That he, both of them are, are in the text, in the, in the scriptures. Uh, 
And what's really interesting, Dennis read this account, and honest, we didn't plan, I didn't even know he was going to read that, but there's two accounts of, of Peter's reaction to the tomb. There's four Gospels, and two of them actually give Peter's name there and gives a reaction for him. And both times, this guy that's me, 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 I want to talk, he doesn't say anything. He's speechless. And those are the words, that's how I would describe marveling. Because he's looking at this linen, and his mind is blown. Everything in the past didn't matter anymore. Everything that he had thought about a Messiah up to this point, Jesus was breaking that mold. Jesus was no longer in that category. Jesus was exceeding his previous experiences at this moment. And what's crazy is Jesus has done this continually through the Bible, but specifically in Luke. So this is the end of Jesus' ministry here at the resurrection. What's really interesting is he does it at the beginning, too. And Luke does the same word to describe uh, what's going on, the people's reaction. So I want to preface here is... This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it starts out, Jesus just at a church service. He's actually going to uh, preach the word and read some scripture and probably discuss what's going on in the text a little bit. Uh, he was a traveling rabbi at the time. Uh, he was a carpenter, but he, he's coming back to his hometown. He's coming back to his hometown of Nazareth. So the people are familiar with him. Uh, they know him really well. And Jesus gets up, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, which we have in our Bibles as well, and he reads this text. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you feel the power in that? What's happening here is, so Isaiah is known as a a prophetic book, meaning Isaiah is speaking of things to come, and this is known as a a messianic prophet. So when the people, when when Jewish people interacted with this text, they did exactly what Dennis would have said here today. Well, we're just waiting on this person. Well, this person's not here yet, but it's going to be so good when they get here. And no other explanation or no other sermon up until that point in a Jewish synagogue had ended this way. Because what Jesus does is he gets up, or sorry, it says he sits down, and he says, this is me. I am the Messiah. I have come to free you from what you couldn't free yourselves from, to liberate the oppressed and free the captives and to liberate the poor. 
And what's interesting about the Messiah is that would have been understood as a physical liberation, just as Moses, in a way, had helped liberate the people in Exodus. It would have been a physical thing that they were thinking of, and they were under the oppression of the Roman government. So that's where the the disconnect comes, but they react in the exact same way that Peter does to these words when Jesus says these things. It says, And they all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So again, there's that word marvel, Dumazo, if you already forgot. I almost did. And... These people, again, their minds are blown. They don't know. I would imagine all the the jaws are on the ground. And what they begin to do in this text is not something that I don't think Peter does quite as audibly as these people do. They begin to rationalize who Jesus is here because they know him. He's in his hometown. They're familiar with him. They've seen him grow up. He's a carpenter. And now he's a rabbi, and they say, isn't this Joseph's son? We know this guy. And now all of a sudden he's saying that he's the Messiah. That doesn't really seem to add up. They're trying to rationalize who Jesus is and put him back in this certain box. They're trying to redefine who Jesus is, even after he's just told them. And I don't want us to make that mistake because... When you try and explain the resurrection, it sounds crazy, and I'll admit that. And if you don't think that, props to you. But this is, it's miraculous what's going on and what has happened. And what I love what Jesus says here uh, in the previous verse, it's okay, you don't have to go back, but it's... He says, I am not, he doesn't say, I'm fulfilling this scripture, or I'm not fulfilling this. He says, this has been fulfilled. Just like he said, it is finished. So like full circle, from the start of Jesus' ministry, he has been blowing people's mind, and people have been marveling at him, all the way to the end of his ministry. Peter's mind is blown and Jesus isn't even there. Peter's mind is blown by because he's looking at this linen. He's looking at these grave clothes. And that's how Jesus chose to reveal himself there to Peter by not being there. And again, I don't want us to try and make that mistake of rationalization because let's be honest when we're being marveled at something, it's a little uncomfortable. Because again, we're going to try and find something, like our brain just wants to find something that makes sense at that point. But what I want to ask that we do this morning is that we embrace that and we be a little okay or we're a little bit more comfortable being uncomfortable with the resurrection. Because one, I'm acknowledging that it is crazy and it is out of the ordinary. But when we start to marvel, 
don't go to a place of rationalization. Just give it a chance there. And if you walk away today from the text thinking, wow, I've never noticed that word marvel before. I've never noticed that connection between Luke 4 and Luke 24, marveling. That's great. I know what that means. I even know the Greek word now. I'm so happy for you, but at that point, I think my job would have been half complete, probably even less than half complete. Because marveling at the resurrection doesn't bring you into a right relationship with God. Marveling at the resurrection doesn't make your marriage any better. Marveling at the resurrection doesn't make your relationship with your parents or your kids or that friend any better or that coworker that is a non-believer any better. And I'm so thankful that we get to serve a God that invites us into something more than that. Because he invites us into something called hope. Because the resurrection means something. There's significance there. It's not only getting to hope in who Christ was, this perfect person, but also hope in the fact that he beat death. Oh, death, where is your sting? We don't have to worry about death anymore at that point. And again, I, I'm so happy that we know the word marvel now, but hope, hope is the word that I really want you to remember because we can marvel at the empty tomb, but I want us to hope in the one that walked out of it because that's the whole point of Christianity. And Again, hope brings us something that we, we have a reason to wake up in the morning. Like for me, I have a reason to wake up tomorrow because one, my identity is no longer in what I do. Uh, it's no longer who I please, anything like that. It's the hope that I have in Christ and who he has made me. Those disciples were feeling guilt and shame and hopelessness. And now, all of a sudden, the resurrection brings confidence. It brings a sense of peace, knowing that, hey, I'm imperfect, but Jesus was perfect, and he not only died, but he resurrected. He beat this for me. He freed me from something that I couldn't free myself from. And that's what hope invites us into. And I'm going to be available to talk about these things, And I'm really excited about that. And again, I'm really thankful that we're not talking about Thaddeus or Judas of Galilee, those two false messiahs, but we're talking about the Messiah that didn't stay dead. We're talking about the Messiah that rose again and lived. And what's really interesting, I found this this really interesting quote, and the way it goes is it's this this Canadian scientist and he is looking into Christianity. He's looking into religion in general. And he has two questions that he really wants answered. He said, the first question I have is, has anybody beaten death? And the second question is, has anyone provided a way for me to beat death? And this is, this is the quote. It says, I have checked the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius, and it was occupied. 
I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. And I said, there is one who has conquered death. And I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to do it? And I opened the Bible and discovered that he had said, because I live, you shall live also. We have hope not only for tomorrow, that hope can start today for our lives here on earth, but we have hope for eternity and that we're going to be brought back into right relationship with God and a place where our tears are wiped away and we don't have to worry about anything anymore. And it even gives us hope for the church today because as a body of believers, not only in this room, but in every place of worship this morning, across the world, we can have hope in those people beside us because we had hope in Christ first. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord, thank you for the hope that you have given us uh, through your son Christ. God, I want to thank you for the cross. Uh, I don't want to stop at the cross. Uh, Thank you for the tomb. I don't want to stop at the tomb, but thank you for your son resurrecting and providing a way for us to get to you as the bridge there. God, if the person in this room is feeling hopeless, is feeling guilt for what they did the night before, uh, if they're feeling shame for what happened to them or what they did many years ago or worried about the future or is just simply looking for a place to, to hope in. God, I would, I would ask that you would invite them right now that because of what you did on the cross, in the grave, and walking out of it, that they have a path to you and a hope in you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.